This morning, the subject is the seventh commandment. If you look at verse 14, it says these words, You shall not commit adultery. And so this ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant and sufficient word. May, he, may it be a blessing to all of us, for as the Bible says, as the grass withers and the flower fades, it is the word of God that lasts forever. Lord, we thank you for your word. Teach us from it, instruct us in it, correct us by it, confront us with it. We ask, O oh Lord, that by your spirit we would not only understand it, but that we would embrace the obedience that it calls us to. And more than that, we would embrace the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can enable us to obedience, enable us to do obedience to your word. And we ask this believing in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, you're going, how is he going to do this? Well, you're about to see how the Lord is. Because this is not your father's Oldsmobile. I really want you to pay attention this morning because I'm going to say something in just a minute that it's going to take me the rest of the time to prove up. And if you sleep, you will miss the most important thing. Because this is absolutely a life-changing subject, the subject of adultery. But I want you to remember something as a way of introduction. When we began this study, you remember there are ten commandments on two tablets. The first four tablets, or the first tablet contains the first four commandments, or the first table of law. The first table of law. The second six commandments, or the, the next six commandments, are on the second tablet known as the second table of the law. So you have the first table of the law with four, the second table of the law with six. And we saw that the first table of the law pertains especially and most assuredly exclusively to our duty to God and that the second table of the law pertains to our duty to our neighbor, our fellow man. But I want you to see they're related. I want you to see both tablets are related to each other. The first commandment told us we are to have no other God. The second commandment tells us that we are to worship the one true God in the way that He wills for us to worship Him. The third commandment tells us that we are to treat His name with great reverence. And the fourth commandment tells us on the day in which we are to worship Him. When you get to the fifth commandment, something happens. You begin the second table. And the first two commands on the second table turn to our horizontal duties. That is this. The first one, whereas the first four, that is, speak of the vertical commands towards God on the first table, the second table talks about the horizontal duties that we have with each other 
And the first commandment on the second table is honor father and mother. And I showed you when we talked about that, that deals with authority. Not just mother and father. And you can go online and listen to it. It's much more broader than that. Honor mother and father. It speaks about how you honor those in authority, what type of person you are to be, and what type of person you are to be to those who are subordinate to you. Well, the last time we were together, we looked at the second of those commands on the second table. Thou shall not commit manslaughter. Thou shalt not murder. And we made great distinctions. As one man has said, do no immoral killing. Do not murder. And so we see a connection now, and it's time to bring this up. Between the tablets, the nature of the first two commandments on the second table, honor your father and your mother, and do not commit manslaughter, they are directly related to the first four commandments. And he makes very clear. Because in the first four commandments, God makes it so plain that He says He claims exclusive reverence and ultimate reverence for Him and Him alone. And He will not allow us to show that ultimate reverence to anyone else but Him. Yet the very first commandment on the second table, honor your father and mother, would seem as if there is a contradiction. No. Anytime someone speaks of a contradiction in the Bible, it's a, con it's a contradiction in the circuitry of their understanding. It's not in the Word of God. And that we show reverence to our fathers and mothers, and so we already see this linkage between loving God and loving our neighbor. So we cannot fail to show reverence for father and mother and still claim to truly reverence God, and nor can we truly reverence God without following through and showing reverence and respect to our parents. But there's another linkage, and it's that part with the murder. This is, not, this is not execution, legal, punitive, justice, death penalty. This is, not, uh, this is not the word that they use to slaughter animals or to kill the sacrifices. No, this is murder. Killing the image of God and another person. There's going to be a murder trial here uh, in the next week or two here in Gainesville. And then in another month, there's going to be another one. And both of the defendants that are going to trial have admitted to killing the other person. It's just self-defense. And it's going to be quite a trial. Moses explains later on, and we saw this, that there's a reason that, we're, that we do not do immoral killing and the reasons we are not to murder, the reasons we're not to unlawfully take human life is because humans are made in the image of God. What is the second commandment? You shall make no images. Why? Because God is only to be worshipped by our understanding, but He has given His image bearer to us 
and we learn this fully from Jesus in the New Testament when he talks about taxes and asks whose image is on the coin. He says Caesar's. They say Caesar. And he says, and give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto God what is God. That doesn't make a lot of sense until you understand, well, who belongs to God? The ones who have His image. It is not our place to take human life and to treat human life with disrespect. The image of God then is to show that we do not have true respect for the living God. So there's this interrelation. And so now we see how those two commandments in the second table are related to the four of the first. And now we come to adultery. As I introduce this subject to you, I'm going to say something in a second that's going to really speak to you. Up to this point, if we summarized everything we've learned, loving man is linked to loving God. If you don't love God, you don't love man. And if you really don't love people, it's because you really don't love God. That's what we learn. You cannot truly love man without truly loving the one true God. And you cannot truly love the one true God without loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, we see now the same principle applies in this commandment, the seventh commandment or the third on the second table. I want you to understand two main things this morning. So I'm going to give them to you right now. The two main things I want you to understand this morning. Number one, as believers show their loyalty to God, their covenant loyalty, I want to use that word because He is the covenant God. This is His covenant with man. They are also to show sexual loyalty to their spouse or future spouse. But that's about as much as I'm going to say about sex and sexuality. The second thing I'm going to share with you is simply this. As believers seek to outwardly outwardly be pure in their sexual life, they need to also strive to be inwardly pure. And so... Let us begin. This will not take very long. Our culture struggles deeply with this sins forbidden in this commandment. It struggles mightily. You don't have to look for it around to see the reverence of God speaking to the issues of His moral law. Just a number... Of months ago, we have a man, or years actually, on television that was speaking of no need to repent, who, whose main quality in life it would seem is um, bedding down as many women as he can. And he's just another newsmaker just like one before him named Ted Turner who made this famous quote, if you're going to only have rules, you prudes, I'm sure one of them you would have is you can't commit adultery. We are a sex-driven, sex-obsessed, sex-crazed society that does not any longer understand 
natural sex or birth sex. Because we are a culture that does not find any delight in God. Except when he does not prod or poke around our own business. Much less if he should send the preacher. But I want you to understand this. You don't have to look at San Francisco and you don't have to look at Austin and you don't have to look at New Orleans and you don't have to look at Las Vegas and Boston and New York and Chicago and all these things to understand the licentiousness and lasciviousness of man's baser needs. We've all said this and most of us by our own political persuasions would say the government needs to stay out of our bedroom. But we would also say that you should outlaw homosexual sex so it's okay for the government to go inside a gay person's bedroom but not mine. And this shows the incredulity and the duplicity of the people of God who do not delight in the Lord. There are as many people in Houston delighting over the fact that a city magistrate has sued for the documents of a pastor's notes because he does not prefer what the man says as protected speech as there are those that will be up in arms by the end of this week desecrating the name of Jesus in the name of freedom. Jesus told us these things would happen and He told us how to handle them. And one of the great issues our nation faces is that evangelicals believe the solution is with the law. It is not. It is with Christ. And it is because we do not delight in God that that answer does not seem to be acceptable. And so believers, therefore, are to show loyalty to God only. And when you look at this commandment of adultery, it is showing there is to be sexual loyalty to one spouse or future spouse. So let me tell you what, adult, what the seventh commandment is, what are the duties required in the seventh commandment, and what are forbidden in the seventh commandment. I will send this to you, I promise. I promise with last week as well. But before I do that, I want to give you this is the gut punch. Here it is. You ready? Say amen. Don't fear this. Nothing, this is not, nothing to fear. This is according to D.A. Carson, who is considered by most in every branch of Christianity, and for, for, fortunately he is of the staunch Reformed faith. Uh, this is his quote. In God's order of priority, the sanctity of human life is followed by the importance of the marriage relationship. Adultery here means relations between a married woman and a man who is not her husband. Adultery, when the commandment was given, was understood to only be possible to be committed by a woman. 
Is that what God meant? I don't believe so. The New Testament said, but that's how it was intended, or that's how it was understood. So when it says, thou shalt not commit adultery, all the way up until Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is walking on the earth, you have had the law given, the prophets given, all the Psalms, the wisdom literature, any time adultery was mentioned, it was a sin only a married woman could commit by having sexual relations with a man that wasn't her husband. You did not know that. You are looking at me like cows staring at a new gate. And fortunately, you don't look like cows. I'm not finished. The punishment for the woman caught in adultery was stoning. This was the law of God. Relations between a married man and an unmarried woman do not qualify as adultery as it was understood at Mount Sinai. Hence, what's your proof? Polygamy. What did David do? David was polygamous. What about Solomon? Polygamous. He was not an adulterer. He was nuts. But that's another story. So polygamy is not, ex not automatically excluded by this commandment, although the practice of polygamy, polygamy is extremely rare in the Old Testament. And similarly, listen to this, listen to this. Divorce was permitted, but not encouraged. The New Testament teaching, however, on marriage, in certain respects, is completely and totally upending. It is demanding and it reflects the idea of God for the human marriage as it is to be expressed specifically in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Polygamy, a husband's adultery, and the problem of remarriage and the possibility of marriage are all prohibited. It is no wonder to any of you that have been around me for these 11 years or so. You know I don't do a lot of marriages. And there are some marriages I will not perform. And I am, in my course of my ministry, I have had to, put, I have had to weigh, is the, is, is the outcome you want worth the cost you're going to pay? Yes, it is. Because I will not marry some people under circumstances. I just won't. And, and you know what? I don't have to. Okay? And if I say I will, then I will. But that's, I don't have a lot of that. So let me show you this. The whole Bible reveals that God, God's desire is to establish the harmonious marital relationship and that neither spouse do anything to undermine it. But it begins where the concept is a married woman having sex with a man that is not her husband. If she's caught, she is to be stoned. A married man can have sex with his wife and no one else's wife, but as many unmarried women as he would like. 
And this is why, and Larry would understand this better than me, because at the time of the writing of the commandments, both times, women were considered property. And this is one of the greatest places to show how God leveled the playing field for women with the coming of Jesus. Because He says these words. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if a... What? What'd you say? If a man so much is as looketh upon a woman and lust. He has committed what? Do you realize what has just happened with that? Where does he do this? In the Sermon on the Mountainside. This is Matthew 5, 27 through 30. He changes the entire course and direction for women. What do you think the Pharisees were thinking? We know. There is another place where Jesus is out there and He is by the temple and the Pharisees come dragging a woman caught in what? Adultery. Now what do we know about that? We know that she must have been a married woman. She had been caught in adultery. She had to be married. Now it is still my opinion that the man accusing her was the one that was with her. But as far as understanding this commandment at this point now, he was totally wrong to be with her because she was married. But what penalty would be applied to him as a man? None. So, they want to stone her. But they weren't trying to stone her. I've always said they tried to stone her to get rid of the evidence. No, they tried to stone her to uphold the law. Because it didn't matter. He was a man. And women are chattel. And so what does Jesus do? He knew. He saw it happen. You with who, you, all of you without sin, you cast the first stone. Now I'm going to tell you what that looked like. The oldest men there, the old Pharisees, wise and strong, frail in frame, but wise and strong in spirit, they were the first ones to drop their rocks because they knew. It was that guy that had just been with her that was the last one to drop his rock because the young are foolish. And what does Jesus do? Does He kill her? She has broken the seventh commandment of God. Takes two to tango. What does he do? He says, who stands here to condemn you? She looks up at him. She, you know, she's naked. No one. I wonder if she's wondering, would you like to go to bed with me? Jesus? I think the woman of the well was kind of that way. I'm going to get to her too. Watch this. But no, what does she do? What does he do? He says, and neither do I. Go and sin no more. What did she become? A disciple of Jesus. How could she be a disciple of Jesus and be an adulterer? Because she has been called. 
Some say it's Mary this or Mary that. I don't know who it was. Then you say, well, wait a minute, hold on a second. You mentioned the woman at the well. Yes, the woman at the well. What about her? She's sitting there at the, at the well. Jesus comes up. He's thirsty. And the woman of the well is there and says, Sir, you don't have a dipper to dip with. We call it a ladle here. But you don't have a dipper. A dipper is what goes in an ice cream churner, but you don't have a dipper to dip with. Is that what it's called? I think so. I don't know what it's called. Uh, well, that was a rabbit chase. So the reality of it is, is, what does he say to her? You have been married five times and the man you are with now is not your husband. And we all go, she's an adulteress. No, she's not. She's not married according to the law of God. But she has sinned. And what do we see? Jesus says, in fact, you have been married many times and you are now living with a man that is not your husband. And of course, in our culture, she's an adulterer, stoner, killer, all this kind of stuff. Don't, don't even remember the Sermon on the Mount. And if you so even much as lust, you have committed adultery. Killer! What does he do? He shows her her real sin. If you knew the one who was asking you for water, you would be asking me for my water that will quench thirst forever. And out from you will flow streams of living water. What happened to her? Well, we know she wasn't a Baptist because she became a preacher right there. And she turned on her feet ran back into town screaming, I found him! I found him! I found him! And all the guys were wondering which one of us next is going to be her husband because she's easy. And what has happened? She brings the Samaritans out who wore white garbs down to their ankles flowing like this. The boys have just come in from JJ's sub shop. They've got their submarine sandwiches waiting to sit down. And he says, Behold, look, the fields are white of the harvest, but the workers are few. Pray for the workers. What about the adultery? What about the immorality? Because adultery ultimately is the failure to delight in God. It's not just sexual. Let me tell you what are the duties required of the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Here they are. The duties required, you can't write them down. The duties required in the seventh commandment are chastity in body, mind, affections, and word. Every one of these has biblical text. I will send it. Every one. They're highlighted. And behavior. The preservation of it in ourselves and others. Watchfulness over the eyes and all of our senses. Temperance. Keeping of chaste company. Modesty and apparel. Marriage by those that have not the gift of uh, continency, those who are not have the gift of being single. It is what is required of the seventh commandment. I want you to listen to this because this is an epidemic in our country. It is required of the seventh commandment that husbands and wives 
practice conjugal love. And I'm just going to go ahead and give you those Bible verses because you may not want to read the email. Just look at Proverbs chapter 5, 19 and 20. Husbands and wives are not to deny themselves. When Mike and Kara Grace were dating, I stayed with them to, I wanted them to succeed in their dating relationship, knowing that if they didn't, I would love them anyway, but I was pleased that they did, but it was a very honest relationship. And they had talked about getting married this last May. I said, you don't want to wait till May. You need to get married sooner because that is the right thing to do. And I remember, and as I've talked to young men, they talk about the burn, and I call it the urge to merge. Listen to me. I'm being very serious. God has provided a natural remedy. And the natural remedy is sex between a husband and a wife. I have not had this happen here. I'm sure it will. And you'll be asking me, why did they leave? And I will tell you, because I'm telling you now. If a woman comes to me and tells me that her husband is involved in pornography, my immediate response is, are you involved with him in bed in a meaningful, conjugal, loving way? We didn't come here to talk about me. We came here to talk about him. I can't fix him. He's not here. But I have dealt more with women addicted to pornography than men. And conjugal love is a natural antidote. It is God's antidote to adultery. If you need a book to read, I'm going to give you the title of it. Here it is. Here's the title. Children, do not go buy this book. I did not give this book to Mike until he married Care Grace. And then I said, this is y'all's homework. And I was so, it was so fun. One time I walked out of church and he was sitting in the car reading a book. It's a good book. <laughs> it's called uh, Good Book. It's called Intended for Pleasure. Intended for Pleasure. Conjugal love. The, what is also required of the seventh commandment? No cohabitation, but cohabitation as husband and wife. So what does that mean? You go to church where she goes to church. You live at the same house where she lives. You do all that. That's what, that's what cohabitation means, and that's for a married couple. It's a diligent labor in our callings, shunning all occasion of uncleanness and resisting temptation thereunto. All of these are Bible verses that relate to the seventh commandment as proven up by Scripture. Now, what is forbidden by the seventh commandment? And then I'm going to give you a very practical application and I'll let you go. Here it is. What is forbidden? These are the sins forbidden by the seventh commandment. The sin forbidden in the seventh commandment by the way, these come from the 1646. These have stood the test of time. Before the iPhone, which I would add to this, the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment besides the neglect of the duties required, which is specifically conjugal love, 
are adultery, fornication. Now, there is a difference between fornication and adultery. Fornication is sex outside of marriage, period. Whether a person is married then is where it enters into adultery. But here's the thing that is so difficult about fornication. Fornication comes from the Greek word pornea. So fornication is pornography. Rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt and filthy communications, or listening thereunto. Wanton looks, imprudent and light behavior, immodest apparel. I'm not going there, but I could. Prohibiting of the lawful. Prohibiting of the lawful. What is lawful? Conjugal love and marriage. And dispensing with unlawful marriages, allowing, tolerating, keeping of stews and resorting to them. I have to look up the stews part. Entangling vows of single life, undue delay of marriage, having more wives or husbands than one at the same time. I mean, it's like, are you crazy? Unjust divorce or desertion, idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, unchaste company, lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancing, stage plays, and all other provocations to or acts of uncleanness either in ourselves or others. Every one of those things has a Bible verse related to it and it goes back and looks at the seventh commandment. So let me show you what we're going to do with this. Okay? Here we know this. They understood it when it was given at Mount Sinai that only a woman could do it. Jesus flipped that. Right? He flipped it. He showed us this is what... And so what is that called? That's called progressive revelation. We have, that's not progressive revelation in me that I, as I read the Bible more and more and learn the languages more and more and interpret and build my library, that's not progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. At the end of the Bible it, said, I, it says amen. And everything before in the beginning and the amen is a complete total picture of what's happening. So it's like buying a calendar for 223 of a bunch of Labrador retrievers on the front. And then you open it up and there's this one lab. You know, and then you open it up and there's this next lab. And then you open it up and there's two labs and all this kind of stuff. It's all cute. And, it's, and, and you see in this progressive, it grows. The football season, as it goes on, we're going to see things take place. We, we don't know who's going to win this season right now, but we know who everybody's rooting for that believes they will win regardless of if they win or not because they're fans. Okay? But we, it's a progressive thing. So let me give you two things. This is under the part, believers are to seek to be outwardly pure in their sexual life also as they must strive to be inwardly pure. I am not preaching a sermon on you do not need to go out here and have sex with somebody that's not your husband and you do not need to have sex with somebody uh, that you're not married to. You know that's what the Bible says. You know that's what I believe. The Bible says it. That settles it. But I'm going to show you how to avoid it. How about that? So this is going to be very applicable. So here's the third thing, or the first thing under the second point. Here it is. Our relationship to God's creation. I want you to write it down. Our relationship to God's creation. I've got four things right here. Number one, how to relate to the world. Number one, how to relate to the world. And under this, A, B, C, D. It's not good preaching to do this but I'm going to do it anyway because you're going to get something. So the first thing, our relationship to God's creation, how do I relate to the world? 
Letter A. First, we need to study the world and the works of God in the world. The works of God in the world are honorable. They are good and just. There are too many of folks we all know that are looking for the devil behind every rock, that are looking for wrong in everything, looking for a conspiracy behind every deal. Listen, I saw a thing the other day that blew my mind. It said, you know what happened before crowbars? Crows drank at home. I never knew that. I read the other day a man got eaten by a shark, took his left side. He was interviewed. He said, I'm all right now. I don't believe him. Did you get it? All right. We're looking for the wrong things. We're obsessed with it. What happened in Houston inflames me as a minister of the gospel. But I have to say I'm not going to be inflamed because my delight is in the Lord and He will vanquish those that are against Him. So there is nothing I have to do but pray for the grace of God, charity with thanksgiving on that judge that He may see and come to His senses. But my real prayer is that people that claim to be of the church don't go out there and start acting like people of the world. And so we need to look at, listen, for this invisible thing in this creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made and the eternal powers of the Godhead so that they are without excuse. Listen, if adultery becomes an issue with someone, it's going to become an issue, first of all, with their eyes because of what they're looking for. The Bible says, ask, not, ask how the beast and they shall, uh, te- you shall, it shall teach you. The fowl of the air, they shall tell you and speak to the earth and it will teach you and the fish of the seas will declare unto you what? What is Job telling us? Job tells us that if you look to these things, it tells you about God's power, God's wisdom, God's goodness, God's mercy are all learned by God's creation. Not Fox News. Not Marilargo. Not Twitter, Facebook, Instachap, or whatever else. Pastor in Denton just fell because of his Instagram. Carrying on a coarse relationship with a woman, he's finished. And it's terrible because he's a very good man. But it's over because he delighted in something else. Creation teaches us prudence and providence. Creation teaches us to do the will of God. It teaches us to wait on God. It tells us to, to wait on the glorious liberty. I don't do many funerals, but I'm going to tell you, when I do, I was thinking the other day, I, Rick and I were talking about doing funerals, and I said, well, Rick, I'm going to tell you this. When I do your funeral, one of the things I'm going to say is, here's Rick, Ricky Cornelius Huddleston. We know one thing. By God's grace, He has finally died to His sin. God is patient. He's patient. Creation tells us there's a glorious liberty coming and it teaches us to know the times and the seasons. Right now, people are finding their delight in everything else but God. Their love for the country has become the idol over the God who gave us the country. 
You say, when did all this happen? When Israel asked for a king. We want a king. I am your king. No, we want a man king. And since that time, no society, free or otherwise, has survived. Number two, we pray for the things of this world. That is, Christ teaches us this, grant us those things that are needful for this life. This is Luke eleven three, for our condition and for our relations that are in Him. Number three, we need to follow a calling in this world. Brothers and sisters, if anyone does not work, he should not eat. This is the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And now that there are such, we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ with quietness that they work and eat their own bread, to quietly work and eat from the fruit of their hands. Now, I will tell you, the church is a place of charity, but people have got it messed up in the country that the church is a place of welfare. It is not my job to put you in a hotel for six weeks. It's charity. It's not welfare. Number four, we need to use the world. Do not use the world. Rather, we need to use it. In 1 Corinthians 7.31, it says this, the use this world as not abusing it. When you look at God's creation and specifically when you delight in God and then you see something that you want, something that you desire, and especially when it has to do with this issue of adultery, it's because the focus has shifted from God to any of these things. Most affairs begin at the copier in a business which is 95% talk and 5% very bad sex. Number big two, how to use the world rightly. Use all the things for the end that God has made them. God has not made anything on this earth for your pleasure above His. I love what happened to Joseph in the room of Potiphar's wife. He said, how can I do this thing against God? Well, I can tell you, I'm saved by grace. God knows I'm fallen. I'm a sinner. He knows my frame. That is called high-handed sin. Believe me, I've heard that one. Walk with God, number two, walk with God in the use of the world and answer God's call. You say, well, I don't know what God's call is on my life. I can tell you what God's call on your life is. is to love Him and enjoy Him forever. And whatever best fits your talents to do that, that's what you do, and you will never be called to pole dance. You will never be called to be the private secretary of big NFL football teams. That's not going to happen to you. Number three, use the things of this world to promote spiritual good in ourselves and others. You can't do that with Fox. You can't do that with CNN. You can't do that with the news. You can't do that with your conspiracy theories. And you can't do that with your patriotism. The final judgment will not be by the Constitution. The final judgment will be by the Word of God. And that is all that will be remaining. And God will say to maybe some of you that think that, maybe I doubt it, but He will say to some that whom He has placed men in front of them to step on their toes with the terms like that, said, I warned you. I sent a man to warn you. And there is a great 
gulf fixed. Depart from me. I never knew you. And that is going to happen to a lot of Americans. Number four, the world slight, use the world slightly, slightly and consider the things of God and my soul is my main business. In other words, consider the things of the world lightly and consider your main business is your soul. That is, not, that is simply to glorify His name and to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Number five, use the world in moderation, keeping your affections in check. Truett bought a car the other day. I gave him the truck he's been driving to trade in. I have a beautiful truck outside, and I've been online trying to find an old beater truck. I'm like, well, why don't you just sell the big truck you have and go buy back the truck you sold? Well, it's because I'm a hypocrite. And I'm not used to not owning four cars. Now I only own two. Care Grace got a job. She owns her car now, and her husband's really happy about it. <laughs> he, her apron strings got cut. Plates broken. Venmo account is send money. Number six, give a good and cheerful account to God concerning what we have had in this world. Here's the next thing. Recognize your reward. Just write it down. Recognize your reward. The calling and goodness of God is the greatest gain in your life. Write down Acts 19, 24 through 25. Remember Demetrius the silversmith. He wanted to be a disciple. He wanted to be able to do all the things the disciples did. He wanted the romance of it. He was a worker of darkness. We need to consider our calling because it's profitable to God. And when we say, well, I'm a housewife, then be one. And I might add, be the wife part. And you say, well, James, we got, you, you don't understand. I don't have to understand. God's truth is God's truth. I don't have to understand. And if your truth is different than God's truth, then you have said His truth over your truth, and you're probably lost. But you're acting like it. Say, who are you to say that? A man of God. A man who makes his living steeping myself in this Bible. Nothing else. We must aim for the public good of our calling. Everything we do. So how could you go out and enter into an adulterous relationship if you're looking for the public good? That is completely selfish. We need, to be, we need to make being rich our goal. We, to make being rich our goal is against the great and glorious principles of the gospel of self-denial. One of the genuine signs of a person being born again is they can deny themselves. Now people that say they're saved and live like hell, live like demons, cannot do anything right, their word's no good, their virtue's no good, their morals no good, they're no good, and say they're saved. I'm just going to tell you something. Those who are born again are different than my Labrador retrievers. And they do not tell you they're saved. They know they're loved. But Hershey the other day was going across our floor with her legs up like this, dragging her tail. I can't wait for her mom to listen to this sermon. That dog's lost. 
and may be dead. We have toilet paper for that. Number four, but see, she has no self-control. If you don't have self-control, you're not born again. Don't come to church. You need to get Jesus. You must be born again. Don't play it. You're an adulterer if you play it. It's directly against Scripture for us to make earthly things our gain and our end. It's totally against Scripture to make earthly gain our end. I saw this deal the other day, two young men standing outside of a football stadium, about 26 years old, 27, 28. One guy, a man came up with a microphone and said, what do you do? He said, I'm a debt collector. The other guy said, he said, what do you do? He said, I'm a medical student. He said, how much do you make a year? The guy that's 26, 27, debt collector, said I make $170,000 a year. I thought, wow, I'm in the wrong business. I'm getting in debt. I need to get people, I need to collect it. Asked the medical student, he said, how much do you make a year? He said, negative 500000 And then he asked this question. He says to the debt collector, are you happy? He said, my life stinks. I hate it, and I hate what I do. He asked the medical student, he said, what about you? He said, I'd have never done it, and I'm too far in, I can't quit. Money will not make you happy. Another person was interviewed not long after. He's an older man sitting on a bench. A young lady comes up with a microphone and said, Sir, if you could start over today and do something different, what would you do? And she, he said this without a moment's breath. He said, If I was your age, I'd have saved every dime I made. Because life stinks. Here you have two guys. One guy that doesn't have any money, life stinks. A guy that has a lot of money, stinks. A guy who's going to make well, it's got a lot of debt. Life stinks. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Whenever you desire the earth as your end, that's what you want. And so I want you to hear this. If Forrest Gump was here, worldly gets what worldly does. Worldly gets what worldly does. Well, we have to be stewards. You have to be stewards of your soul. It does not say work out your bank account with fear and trembling. Now, my banker knows I do that. Work out your bank account with fear and trembling. Work out your 201K. You said it's a 401K. No, mine's a 201K. It says work out your salvation with trembling. But I will tell you this, I'm grateful for the people that are retired and that they did save for the end because this church would not exist with a full-time pastor if it were not for this congregation's retired pensioners because that's where the majority of the money comes from. So let me... That's, that's the way to look at how to overcome adultery. These next few things, this is the last part. Number four, examine your heart. Or the last thing is examine your heart. I'm just going to read these to you. I want you to examine your heart. This is how you're going to know if you got your foot on the banana peel of adultery. Here it is. There's seven Seven things. Write down, examine our heart. Examine my heart. Seven things. Number one, am I more concerned about the things of the world than I am for heaven and spiritual things? Am I more concerned about the things of the world than I am of heaven and spiritual things? Men will take great pains to pay whatever it costs to ensure their good, but they take little pain to avoid the slightest cost associated with their slightest, with, associated with the condition of their soul. That's why it says in Philippians 2.12, 
work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not told to the lost. That's told to the born again. Number two, examining our hearts. Does the world push aside and cut out the things that are of God? I'm not being personal with anyone, and I understand it's where we live and we minister in the culture we live in. So please do not try to take this the wrong way. But when I started out as a pastor, there was one thing you, there was one thing you couldn't do. You couldn't have Babe Ruth on Wednesday night or Sunday or Little League or whatever else there was. You couldn't do that. And now... It's the competitor. I've always been asked everywhere I've been except this church, do we want to have a softball league? I said, absolutely not. No, sir. Why? Because we're going to have to play on Wednesdays and Sundays. No. But that's the world we live in, so we take what's given. Does the world push aside and cut out the things that are of God? Do the things the world jostles... The, of the world jostle the wall of the things of God? Does it break down the barrier? Number three, am I content with little when it comes to the matters of the soul? Am I content with little when it comes to the matter of the soul? Little knowledge of God with little communion with God means little heavenly mindedness. I wrote this down, Amos 8, 5. When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn in the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat? That is, when will the spiritual duties be over so that we may mind the world and follow the world and get the world? That's Amos 8 verse 5. And it's from Amos 8 verse 5 that one can live their professional life. Amos 3 3 that says, if two men cannot be in agreement, how can they walk together? And there are a few things that, and I can't be in agreement, so I can't walk with some people. I just can't. But here in Amos, he's pointing out there's people that are trying to get it. You know, I've got to get out of church so that I can go out and sweat. So the question is, am I content with little when it comes to the matters of the soul? Number four, in what then do I find the most sweetness and contentment? In what do I find the most sweetness and contentment? David found good in it. He said the light of God's countenance was sweet to him. He said, oh, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Number five, do I use questionable and all unlawful means to get the world? Do I neglect lawful and unquestionable means that would get me heaven and spiritual things? Listen to that. Do I use questionable and unlawful means to get the world? Do I neglect lawful and unquestionable means that would get me heaven and spiritual things. Number six, do I love ideas, learning wisdom of words, talents, and gifts, and the things of this nature? All of these things are of the world. Do I love ideas, learning wisdom of words, talents, gifts, and things of this nature? How they tickle our fancies. How that they satisfy us with human learning. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. May it ever be so said of me. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. And last of all, number seven. Am I more grieved over the loss of outward 
worldly things than I am over the loss of spiritual things. The greatest thing happens to me every time, and I mean great in pain. This very good man that just fell in the Metroplex was, was he's finished. And it was because of social media and visiting with a woman who was not his wife and he was confronted, Matthew 18, first face to face and when he was brought before his elders, he could not see that he was not above reproach and the elders said, until you learn what it means to be above reproach, you cannot be the pastor here. He's finished because the story is never the story. And it prompted some conversation with friends this week of me shutting my cell phone off, going to a flip phone, no longer taking text messages or this and that. And it's not not because I have a problem with that, but I'm going to tell you I could because I'm a man. I'm a man before I was a Christian. So let me close you, close with these two little phrases right here that I have and I wrote them specifically for this congregation. So if this steps on your toes, then gotcha. Here it is. Are you more interested in being right or being righteous? If you're more interested in being right, you have your foot on the banana peel of adultery. Because all adultery is the denial of delighting in God. It all starts there. Number two, when you're wronged by a believer, that's why this is not written for Cook County. When you are wronged by a believer, do you want them to pay or do you want to have peace? My closing illustration is this. When mother died, I went to the bank to get the money to pay for the funeral. I walked into the Commercial State Bank in Andrews, Texas, where my parents had banked for many years. My dad was a director. It had gone under new management. I went to withdraw money to go pay the funeral home, and the account had been closed. I went into the owner of the bank's office and he said, well, we have a pay on death certificate here that's cut off at the fax and it doesn't have your name. I thought, how convenient is that? And he happened to be the personal banker of my stepfather who had his old company there in that bank. And his daughter's a huge attorney in Dallas. She had sent the moment my mother breathed her last, they sent the fax freezing all of the assets. And I was pastoring at post. I had no money to buy even my sister a dress for the wedding because her dress would have broken the seventh commandment that she had. Immodesty. And it came to a head that finally they sued me in district court in the newspaper, open scandal. 
Don't you know I want him to pay? I'm Jim Egan's son. But I belong to another. And I sat on the sofa. I had paid all of my debts by this time. I had given a full year salary and benefits to First Baptist Church Post because they'd been so good to me. I endowed a full scholarship to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And they sued me for all of it. I bought my sister's piece for $400,000 so that she would not have to go to court. And I lost $3 million cash and property that my father worked for, none of it given to him, every dime he worked for. And I did it because I could not be unfaithful to God who says, whenever you are being taken to court, settle. If someone asks you to go a mile, go to. Because he has been faithful to me and for me to have gone back to court would have been to drag the name of Christ through the mud trying to get what I had not earned. Trying to get what would wind up being my kid's future. All of those things. But I thank God every day for that story. Because when the test came, I bought my peace. And it wasn't about being right. It was about being righteous. I know what I'm talking about. Have you had to pay that? You ever had to do that? Stolen from you? Why did it have to happen to me? Because God made me a big old mouthpiece on like a tuba to go out to the church and go <laughs> because he knows I tell it. I don't tell her to pride. I'm a poor man because of it. But I will tell you this. If you will be faithful and delight in him, the last thing you will have to worry about is adultery. And all adultery is the lack of delighting in God. And then everything else flows. Jesus summarized the commands this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these is the summation, not of the Ten Commandments, is the summation of all the law. May God add His blessings to the preaching of His Word. Would you stand?